I'm going to do a quick little intro, and I'm going to have you sort of intro yourself, too. Oh, okay. But how would you prefer that I describe you? I I don't care. Like, <laughs> I, that's so funny, because one of my best friends and I, who I've known since college, uh, sent me an email saying how much the article resonated with her because she feels like she's uh, not definable right now. And I think maybe that was oh. a, that was a huge piece of takeaway is that mm-hmm. I don't I don't know I don't know how you describe me anymore. Hi, it's Rachel Handler, the host of Lady Problems, and I'm here with Hazel Sills. Hi, and uh, we just had quite the experience. Yeah, Stacy London was in the studio. So Stacy London, for those of you who slept through the mid to early aughts, uh, was the host of What Not to Wear, which was maybe the best reality TV show of all time, where she told people what was acceptable and what was not acceptable to put on their bodies. She got me through high school. I watched it every single day. She's now a stylist and a consultant and an author and just generally an incredible human being. It was absurd. We had a (laughs) sprawling conversation with her about... So many things, Emmys, Brangelina, celebrity crush, all sorts Holland of Taylor and Sarah yeah. Paulson. Hey, basically, Hazel and I are completely like blown away. Our minds are blown right now. We <laughs> yes. can't really form sentences. We can't speak. <laughs> We've forgotten how I'm to speak. I'm having trouble speaking. Can you <laughs> was, talk? No, I really can't. I really can't. I can't feel my yeah. We legs. just we talk. I can't feel my whole body. We <laughs> Stacy was amazing. Um, I reached out to her about her Refinery Twenty Nine piece, which some of you may have read. If not, go read it now. It's about aging and not giving a fuck and not this idea of dressing your age and. Um, I reached out to her on Twitter after reading it, and she was so generous. And I was like, please be on our podcast. <laughs> we and demanded she, that she yeah, be on the podcast. She was like, okay, which was amazing. And so, yeah, she came in today, and we had this really incredible long conversation with her. And that's what you're about to hear. Uh, not the entire thing, because that would take your entire day. But we hope that you enjoy it. Okay, so we we reached out to you, Stacy, because we were obsessed with your Refinery Twenty Nine piece. We loved it so much. Thank um, you. So, talk a little bit about like what 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 brought you to write that. Um, I think there were a lot of things that came to bear on 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 writing the piece. It's something that I've been noodling around for a while, and I've been talking with Christine Barbera, who's the global editor in chief of Refinery Twenty Nine, is a very close friend and closer in age to me than than some of my other friends. And you know, she got married late, and she doesn't have kids. She has a three legged cat whom I adore. <laughs> um, but you know, we were talking about what it what it means to lead this kind of unconventional lifestyle. And frankly, it's something that I've felt my whole life. I I for oodles of reasons, have never felt like completely definable or that um, I belonged in a certain bucket or category. Um, You know, even as a kid, I started out feeling like I didn't belong because I got psoriasis when I was very young. Mm -hmm. Um, And then even, you know, when I was at uh, magazines, when I was fashion editor, I mean, I uh, interviewed for my job at Vogue when I was 90 pounds. having a severe eating disorder. I'm 5'7". Right. So a little low. A little bit. And then uh, I, I gained, I doubled my weight in a year at Vogue. So I was a size 16, 180 pound Vogue assistant, if you can imagine there being such a thing. It's wow. like, you know, a leprechaun in a, on a unicorn like riding into the <laughs> lobby of Vogue. Um, so, you know, at that time, I just, I've never really fit any mold. And um it's always been a little weird for me. I, I was raised by a very feminist mom, but and I talk about this in the article as well. She did 
do the traditional things that you associate with women, so to speak, in terms of their value. Uh, she got married and she had kids. And then she got divorced and, you know, found her success and, and really, like, her the love of her life was her career. Um, but I, it was really only that last box that I can check. And I started to think a lot about the fact that there, there's been incredible writers like Rebecca Traister. Um, there was that book, Spinster, who, and now I'm uh, blanking on the name of the author, but women who'd been talking about this new way in which women can mature mm-hmm. that does not include getting married and having kids, um, which is something that I've struggled with. You know, I always thought I was going to be the girl who never got married and never had kids. And then I got engaged in my early 30s, and I was like, oh my God, I'm going to be that girl who gets married and has kids. <laughs> oh my God. But, who, am you know, I? who am I? Like I completely flipped out and, and I did actually pull the plug on that when I realized that uh, A was probably not engaged. It wasn't sort of the best match. Um, even though I think incredibly highly of him, I don't I don't think that we would have worked out. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, really knowing myself, I was like, wow, you know, maybe I'm not that girl. Mm. Um, or maybe I, I, you know, I also sit on the board of a, of a charity called I Am That Girl, um, <laughs> which is really about speaking your truth. And that, as I age, is something that I value more and more. I spent a lot of my 20s pretending to be people that I wasn't. Mm-hmm. Um, and I tried so hard to be other people that I don't really remember a lot of my 20s. Wow. I don't. I don't really feel like I made that many close friends in my 20s. It was much more in my 30s because I was um, so self-conscious and so insecure. And a lot of what started to really kind of become the strongest and, and sort of most memorable part of my journey of self-awareness was really working at what not to wear. Um, be- getting behind, I mean, getting from behind the camera in front of the camera was daunting and something that I hadn't really expected. Um, but it also taught me, you know, definitely where some of my blind spots were. You don't know what you don't know until you don't know right. <laughs> that you don't know. Um, <laughs> and it also taught me that if I was going to be truthful and compassionate with other women, that I was going to have to at least give myself some of the same compassion. So the more I started to think about this, the more I was like, you know, maybe there's something to the idea of writing it down just to get it out. Mm-hmm. And certainly because they had asked me for a personal essay, something from my viewpoint. And Christine and I really started talking about it on the level of style that I am not the what not to wear pencil skirt girl anymore. Mm -hmm. Does that disappoint people who believed in my advice? Uh, Does that open me up to a new kind of criticism? Does that mean that I get to be on Worst Rest List at the (laughs) Emmys? Well, apparently so. You know, because my style isn't what it was. It's not for other people in the way that that TV persona was meant to be. Okay. Um, And I talk a little bit about that in another article I wrote called The Culture of Extraordinary. But it's one of the biggest things that I've seen is that my generation was really, uh, we were really insistent upon you learning a craft, gaining, you know, I was a fashion assistant for five and a half years before I ever tried to style anything by myself. You had to, like, earn it, right? Mm -hmm. Except at the same time, everything had to look effortless. Like, (laughs) you you were starving yourself to be skinny, but you were like, I can eat whatever I want, you (laughs) know? You would just lie. You would just lie. It was all supposed to look like it didn't take any work. And one of the biggest things that I think about millennials, you know, for all the criticism millennials get, and believe me, I can criticize millennials a whole lot. (laughs) 
<laughs> One thing uh, I really credit them for is uh, transparency. The idea that we discuss um, our issues like aging. And, and my question is, you know, sort of, do I have to look the same or do I have to wear the same clothes when age insists that I evolve as a person? Yeah. Um, and I, I think that's important because something that was interesting, especially in your article, was this idea that age or women of a certain age who are like, you know, older than what, like 15, 20 in fashion yes. specifically, it always becomes sort of like a trend. Absolutely. And so my question for you is like, how do images of women of all ages, especially in fashion, like how does that, how do you not make that a fleeting trend? Right. Well, you have to do it consistently. <laughs> um, I mean, that's how you make it not a fleeting trend. And, you know, I, I, I did, I talk about uh, 2014 as the age of age. Um, and it was, you know, every ad campaign, uh, there was Joni Mitchell and Saint Laurent, and there was Charlotte Rampling for NARS, and Cher did Marc Jacobs, and it was wonderful, but it was... It was a marketing gimmick. Mm -hmm, totally. And that is not what age is meant to be because, you know, you can get as much work done as you want. And this is definitely the age where people start talking to me about, like, have you had work done? <laughs> it's really good. It's really <laughs> subtle. Or, oh, she had so much work done. She looks terrible. She looks thousand years older or god forbid you don't have any work right. and then it's like you're just open for all sorts of criticism like she actually looks her age right. how terrible right. you can't how win. awful you can't win um and all that discussion kind of drives me insane to be mm -hmm. completely honest but um because all of it is wrong like i want people i want women to feel they they should be able to age naturally if they want to, if it makes them feel better and more confident to have quote unquote work done, whether that's Botox or fillers or actual plastic surgery. Well, you know what? You do you. Mm -hmm. But for all of us to to desperately think that we're fooling anybody, right? And that we're we're trying to stave off this horrible thing called age and look like we're 25 mm -hmm. so that what what does that mean like we're trying to look like we right. are, Who are we biologically we viable baby ovens because we're not <laughs> so i'm not sure you know i'm not sure where that desire comes from I, I I can prize youth and beauty and and even thinness in the fashion industry for what they what they give to the industry right i mean youth is beautiful in so many ways but so is age. Mm -hmm. yeah. And, you know, this idea of beauty is a relative term. And this idea of being thin, look, I will. I was, I was one of those evil fashionistas. I was a fashion editor who dressed six feet tall, 100-pound models. Um, you know, I propagated that image to some degree. But I also think that there is something to be said for, you know, women not having curves so that you're looking at the clothes and not the women. That mm -hmm. was the original idea, truly, behind fashion designers wanting tall, slender women to show their clothes. It is the kind of best way to highlight the clothes. But as we've come to see in this society, you know, we've taken that so far in right. terms of now thinness is this ideal and not even thinness I mean we're talking about like skeletal like emaciated yeah. Yeah. emaciated yeah. is the is the new black right. and has been for a long time uh, this is something I also credit millennials with is a lot of body acceptance and body acceptance campaigns have been in direct response to the, the kind of agitation that millennials have towards only seeing one type of beauty. Um, that goes for gender identification and sexuality identification. Millennials are doing a lot to make those things um, 
it, what's the term somebody used? Oh, uh, Shonda Rhimes calls it normalization, oh, okay. which I think is uh, an Love amazing. Shonda. Yeah, who doesn't? <laughs> <laughs> but it's an amazing word. Yeah. Um, to talk about this idea instead of talking about fringe groups or plus size right. as like some sort of you know marginalized part of society that isn't mainstream and we don't need to deal with or address, um, we are talking about bringing all of that sort of you know the the, the communities that feel marginalized. Uh, into the limelight and uh, you know normalizing them as much as you, we think of straight um, you know hetero uh, white skinny pretty young women mm-hmm. like enough of that that's not what defines femininity and it's not what defines um, beauty. Yeah. Do you feel like back in your what not to wear days you would have had these ideas about? Because I th- I remember watching that show. I loved that show when Thank we were. You. I, when, I know Hazel did too. We were big I mean, fans. Of course, yeah. of course, yeah. <laughs> um, and uh, do you think you would have said the same thing back then? Because I feel like so much about the styling then was like sort of hiding imperfections. Well, I still believe in that. Mm-hmm. I mean, um, I wrote a book called The Truth About Style, mm-hmm. which is um, semi-autobiographical, but in, I didn't think that anybody would want to read a whole book about me. So <laughs> I chose 10 women um, via Facebook and Twitter. I just said, all I said was, send me a letter, tell me your story. I didn't ask for what's your biggest fashion problem. And based on stories, I sort of identified nine issues that I think women, all women, including myself, come up against. Um, and I chose to do these kind of jump starts, um, you know, these these makeover, these one, one hit makeovers. Um, basically, to illuminate how style could address some of the sort of emotional obstacles we have uh, when it comes to you know, the way we feel about ourselves and the way our self-confidence and our self-esteem. Um, and, uh, and I always talk about the fact that you really, you know, I want to know what you love about your body and I want to know what you hate about it. But then I want you to be objective about that love and that hate. So in other words, once you're like, okay, I love my boobs and I hate my ass. Fantastic. Now we know what you love and your, what you hate, but you've got to burn that emotion away. Until you can be like, now, what am I going to do objectively with that love and that hate? Well, with that love, I'm going to highlight what I love about my body. I'm mm-hmm. going to show that off to its best advantage. And what I hate about my body, and hate is a strong word, right? But a yeah. lot of women use it. Mm-hmm. Um, or what I dis, you know, even if it's if it's less than that, what I dislike, I'm I'm still going to confront because if I try and hide that that implies and promotes an idea of shame, right. which I do not want women to have. The beginning of style is really, it starts with self-awareness. So self-awareness is knowing you don't love everything about yourself and still working with it. Right. So that's never, I never want to promote the idea of like, well, you should lose 10 pounds if you really want to look good in those pants. Bullshit, right? right? And that's true of everything I said on What Not to Wear. I'll never go back on, on those statements. Weight, age, um, you know, Gender, race, none of that has anything to do with style. Mm -hmm. Style is not fashion. So to your point, I mean, Hazel, you were talking about, like, you know, how do we keep things from being fleeting? You know, if fashion makes something a trend, um, the way to counteract that, I think, is for style to make something permanent. Mm -hmm. Style is uh, for everyone. Yeah. Fashion sort of prides itself on being for the elite few, and it's an industry that runs on insecurity. (laughs) <laughs> which, guess what? Since uh, almost all women have, it's why well, it's a billion-dollar right. industry. <laughs> you know? I mean, way to, way to take advantage right. of what's like, completely innate in True. women. True. Um, so I, 
you know, I like to kind of counteract that with with um, with psychology, frankly, and and style that has some intellect, not yeah. just art behind it. Um, I am all for designers and their vision. Uh, I I believe that fashion is uh, a form of art, but it also has a very strong use value. And more importantly, um, I want women not to feel victims of fashion. I want them to feel like pioneers of style because that really means that you're starting with yourself and not letting an industry dictate to you. But in fact, you get to dictate to an industry what it is that you want. Yeah. You got to start a clothing line. <laughs> <laughs> Believe me, I I am working on it. I, it's not like it's not something that's dawned on me before, but I will say that I do feel like there are, there is a glut of clothing lines with people attached to them who have really no business, you know, creating clothing lines. You have all the business. <laughs> I have a lot of business in creating clothing lines, but but with a glut on the market like that, um, it makes me very wary. Yeah. If I make a clothing line, I want it to be better than my name. I want it to be better than who I am so that you would actually be like, you're never going to guess who actually made these great pants. <laughs> it just happens to be Stacey yeah. London, but I buy them because my ass looks so good, right? <laughs> There's this great line in your piece where you say the Stacey of 2002 cannot possibly be the Stacey of 2016. So I'm really curious, looking back at that woman, there are things that you that you that are just so completely different about you as a person, like your personality. You t- I've read an article where you said you were once a little bit of a mean girl. Oh, my God. More more than just a little bit. I was a, <laughs> I was a total bitch. And that quality, that, you know, did get me my job and what not to wear in the beginning. And it's a quality that is not, like, completely lost on me. I mean, in me. Um, I was much bitchier when I was younger I was because I was much more defensive when I was younger. I was much more insecure when I was younger. And my way of coping with that, you know, some people retreat and some people become kinder. Um, I was not one of those people. I was one of those people whose defense mechanism was to lash out and to be mean. It's also not something that I feel that I'm done with. You know, all of these admissions, even like everything I said in the article about being 47, giving, you know, there are fewer fucks in my trouser pockets, (laughs) all of that stuff doesn't mean that I'm not going through it. The Mm -hmm. point is you don't admit to something and then all of a sudden you're the expert on getting through it. I'm not that person. I am experiencing in real time um, the questions and the crises that we all have. And I just want to talk about them. Absolutely. Well, thank you for that awesome, inspirational little moment there. I loved that. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Let's go to a completely different topic. I want to talk about the Emmys. Yeah, God, the Emmys. (laughs) Yes, the Emmys. So you were telling us earlier that you were on a worst dress list. I was on a couple of worst dress lists. I've never been on... First of all, nobody ever paid that much attention to me on the red carpet. (laughs) I don't know why all of a sudden... Maybe it's because I haven't been on the red carpet for seven years, so I I don't know. People are like, oh, let's take a shot at her. She used to tell everybody what to do, and now she looks like crap. Um, I was wearing... Wearing a black dress that had it was silk charm. Actually, it was not black. Sorry, <laughs> it was navy, <laughs> and um, and navy was one of the colors of the night. So I was like on trend in that regard. But um, it was two basically slashes of navy charmeuse that covered my privates okay. and my boobs, and the rest was sheer tulle polka dot. Uh, it was from Michelle Mason, who is a designer I adore. I thought it was sexy and edgy. Mm-hmm. I wore it with a diamond choker from Nathan and Mo and these diamond stud earrings from Nathan and Mo. And I wore um, Stuart Weitzman nudist black sandals. 
um, I went for something harder than I would normally go for on the carpet because I don't feel like the same kind of frilly girl that I used to be exactly, on the like red you carpet. Said, yeah. Like I said, so again, I think partly I might have been on worst dress list because I dressed in a way that people aren't used to seeing yeah. me dress. Um, and it was funny, before the Emmys, I got a lot of tweets like, oh God, I hope you're wearing a suit with fewer fucks in your pocket. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, God damn it. You know, I really, I should have worn a tux. Um, and I didn't. But I, I was still, you know, I, I did love the dress and I was uh, surprised that it was so uh, uh, thought provoking for a lot of people but um, you know look I, 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 I've got the Golden Globes in January so let's see if I can let's see if I can Not sway gonna. opinion <laughs> well I think you looked incredible thank you like. yeah. thank you um, so we also wanted to talk to you about this idea of like what is appropriate to ask people on the red carpet oh I think that's an incredible yeah. incredible topic so yeah. I'm, I'm going to be completely honest with you like as the fashion correspondent at the Emmys it wasn't my place to be like what are you doing with the rest of your life how many charity boards do you sit on <laughs> that's really the the uh, that's on the onus of the hosts and you know um, Natalie and Kit did an incredible job um, but they were also you know there to talk about other things about work related stuff like what projects are you working on in television the idea of Ask Me More is not one that I am against. I think it's wonderful, but I think it has to be understood in context, right? We watch red carpet shows because we want to know what people are wearing. I mean, if I really wanted an in-depth interview with a celebrity, it's not, I'm not expecting it on the red carpet. Yeah, yeah you only get a few minutes with exactly. people. Yeah. This is their opportunity to show off, right, as peacocks. This is their opportunity to plug designers they like. Mm-hmm. And this is their opportunity to talk about, like, you know, I asked more about, like, how was your day? getting ready did you was this the first dress that you tried on and knew or did you go through a series was it styled by jewelry you know was it your boyfriend and your manager or did you really know in your heart that this is what you wanted I tried to ask questions like that but I asked questions about fashion because that's what I was there to do yeah um and the idea you know the the funny thing is that you know we the whole idea of ask her more came about from this sense that we are objectifying women on the red carpet asking who you're wearing to me is not objective defying anybody. If anything, it's that we should be asking guys who they're wearing right. and we should be, you know, dissecting uh, men's fashion a little bit more, even if it, they're all wearing tuxes. Like, it was really interesting. The big thing on the red carpet for men was navy dinner jackets with black tux trousers. That that was a trend. We can talk about that too. Why don't we give them some equal time? It's like, we just don't care as much about men's fashion <laughs> because they all do look the same to us at a glance. Whereas women, there's such a variety and, and breadth and depth to what style means to them and the way they want to appear on the red carpet. And I don't like the idea of trivializing fashion. I like the idea of talking about it because it makes women feel empowered and confident and comfortable. Um, so, you know, I, I'm, I'm on the fence about how Ask Her More is um, perceived. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm, I'm very cautious. I love the idea of um, showing women to be dimensional. I'm just not sure the red carpet is necessarily where you have to be <laughs> yeah. asking her yeah. more. Right. I think that ask we him should, less. Right. Ask him, <laughs> ask him less. And um, if you're going to ask her more, maybe it's just more in-depth and, and let's dimensionalize style for the positive tool that it is instead of saying that it's negative or superficial or trivializing it in that way, which I, I don't think is necessary. I, I want to go back to an idea that you talked about earlier where you said that women have to pretend like everything is effortless. And yeah. you wrote about that in your Into the Gloss 
uh, yes. article too about how women have to pretend that they put zero effort into their appearance, and I feel like that's extremely apparent on the red carpet too, where they're like, "Oh, I just ate a hamburger right. before I got there." Was a lot of that. Everybody was like, "Oh, I ate pancakes this morning." <laughs> oh, yeah, no, I. It was really easy. I just saw this dress, and I didn't even try it on. I just knew. I was like, "Okay, you know." Listen, maybe it is that easy for some people, but. Um, you know, I think that there, again, has been this incredible move towards transparency. I mean, for me, the big thing at the Emmys was um, Sarah Paulson saying, I love you to Holland Taylor. Oh, my God. Yeah. I'm obsessed I, like, with them. I, I almost, like, burst into tears. Yeah. Because when I think about how that wouldn't have been possible even 10 years ago, um, the kind of bravery, the kind of... Uh, um, transparency that really that we are beginning to see to me that's that's really important I, I didn't get a chance to talk to Sarah Paulson and she's one of my idols if I'd gotten Same. to talk Incredible. to her I probably Same. would have started to cry um, <laughs> that's all I did I mean I was read their tweets to each other oh I my like God. barely yeah. paid attention was, to the show I mean and I I, I, uh, I am told that they announced it I guess a few days that, that they were together a few days before the Emmys I didn't know that so the Emmys oh. was the first time I was like how until you won <laughs> they're like always <laughs> tweeting at each other <laughs> you know, I like. I mean, I really, truly had a meltdown. Yeah, it's a and lot. Then they they started following each other on Twitter, and then they DM'd, and then they uh -huh. had a date, and I was like, oh my god. <laughs> Thank you, social media. <laughs> you know, like Twitter did something so positive and, and put these two amazing women yeah. not only together, but like actually then they fell in love. I know. And it it's is very, too much. I mean, I have made a lot of really good friends thanks to Twitter. And I will tell you one funny story is that Jane Lynch, who is another one of my idols, mm -hmm. um, tweeted me to say that... Uh, like out of the blue a few years ago, actually when I was on my book tour, to say, hey, Stacey London, I had a dream about you last night. You were wearing a midnight navy wrap dress and you looked great. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> and I was like, oh my God, Christy Cummings from Best in Show just told me that she had a dream about me in a midnight navy wrap dress. Oh, so specific. I know. But I tweeted her back and then she told me that what not to wear had been a really important part of her life and that she would watch it with her mom before her mom died. Oh my and God. that they had had a very complicated relationship and towards the end what not to wear was something that brought them together and I I mean talk about like I, I just I was stunned and amazed wow. and so grateful yeah. for the opportunity to do a show like that that brought people together um, and Jane and I became friends after that like I invited her to when I was on a book tour when I was in LA and um, you know we've been friends ever since and now you're in love uh, I, 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 I wish I could. I wish I could claim that uh, Jane and I, I ship you guys. <laughs> but uh, sadly, that would not be true. And my boyfriend might be sad. <laughs> what other good like celebrity? When you're on these red carpets, is there stuff that we don't see that you're like, oh, this is such a good story. I, I wanted to tell it. Um, well, you know, there was one thing that we did on the red carpet this time, which I was very proud of. Um, I got to talk uh, with Anna Klumsky, and her Christian Siriano dress was, you know, widely panned mm. um, but she said something so important to me that I was like you know I asked at access if we could roll that part of the tape I mean if we could really put it in as a clip um, she said to me I told Christian that I wanted a towel I'm seven weeks out from having had a baby I'm not feeling good about my body I wanted something wild and outrageous but that kept me hidden mm -hmm. and I I'm not a particularly huge fan of that dress, but then she said something to me that like literally blew my head off. She said, this dress is a feminist statement. Wow. And I was like, I can't, I'm not gonna put you on any worse dress list ever. Because to me, 
that kind of bravery and that kind of transparency, I would say it's a risk. She took a risk. But she really said something. I mean, talk about ask her more. That, to me, is asking more. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That, that, to me, is, is being told more. Um, and I truly respected that sentiment so much that um, I was like, we've got it. We've got to put because I know I knew she was going to get panned. Right, right. I knew right. it. It was it was a very avant garde, not your typical choice dress, you know. And she stands like sort of in direct contrast to Ellie Kempner, who had a baby two months ago and was wearing literally. I mean, she's so yeah. skinny now and was wearing this like super tight, gorgeous dress that looked amazing on her. But you know. What I loved is that it's just the truth. It just reflected some women bounce back right away. Some women don't. And why are we holding women to this impossible standard when not everybody's body works that way? Yeah. It just, it doesn't. And why make people feel bad when somebody like Anna can say, yeah, I'm not feeling great, but I'm out here. I am walking that red carpet. And I'm going to have a big train and I'm going to do it in this fabulous mm-hmm. color <laughs> with an amazing fabric. And you know what? F you if you don't like my dress. <laughs> Absolutely. So, and, and look, you know, I can be super super judgy. I can be like, yeah, this one looked amazing. I mean, uh, Priyanka Chopra was like my uh, best dress of the night. I didn't see a lot of people, uh, you know, to be uh, totally honest with you, there were a lot of people who didn't do the red carpet or didn't do access because we weren't live. Um, that in retrospect, seeing them, I was like, Gah, like <laughs> oh my God, Alison Janney looked unreal. Yes. And I would love to talk to her about what it's like to a- age in Hollywood. L- Julia Louis-Dreyfus didn't get to talk to her. I would have loved to talk to her about that stuff. Um, you know, neither one of them took like risks. Mm-hmm. They were both in gorgeous black dresses, but they look stunning. What would you ask them if you could have I w- talked to them? I would want to say, how hard is it for you to maintain like this image of like you know not only just you know having this incredible talent, but aging in a culture. I mean, Hollywood's maybe even worse than fashion when it comes to you know what roles you're offered and you know, can you gain weight when you're older? You know, people have said to me it's okay, you can be old but you can't be fat. I mean, being old and fat, that is like that forget it, right? And then I'd love to talk to somebody like Kathy Bates who's always been a larger woman and who was slayed in American Horror Story and like looked gorgeous on the red carpet wearing black and white this this Emmy's award this Emmy award so I you know I want to know what it's like for those women who are much more in the spotlight than I am. The pressure, how they cope with it, how what what they would say candidly, you know, how they talk to their friends about it, um, how they talk to their kids about it. All of that stuff is something that I'd love to be able to do. You know, oh. really have those kinds of conversations. And again, this leads you back to <laughs> ask her more. Yeah. Um, you know, but those are things that I wouldn't even want to do on a red carpet. I would love to be able to sit down and really talk to women in the industry about what it's like to be a woman in an, in an industry that is literally about objectification. You know, there are very few actresses, I think, who are solely uh, um, commended for their talent. Mm-hmm. You know, their beauty is somehow always thrown into it. Um, and we don't really talk about men in that way at all. Mm-mm. No. I mean, that's literally, that's like, that's like why we have this podcast. We're like, <laughs> we're like, that's, you just defined our podcast. Like, I'm so happy. Thank you. Yeah, if you <laughs> needed so a definition, I'm, I'm so glad you have one. Yeah, exactly. But I think that it is really important. And I think, you know, podcasts like this are exactly what we need. Do 
be something fun. Okay, well, I, to I, fun. I would love to hear about your thoughts on Brangelina because I'm, I'm, we're all reeling. Well, um, <laughs> I, I, funny, I read a, a tweet today from um, a comic, um, Josh Wolf, who said, every girl I went to high school with is now flipping out that Brad Pitt and Johnny Depp are both single. <laughs> and I'm like, uh. yeah, except we're not flipping out because they're not the Brad Pitt of Thelma and Louise and Johnny Depp of 21 Jump Street. Hello. I mean, now yeah, we're talking about guys Depp, who no. drink too much with anger issues. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know if it's the same thing exactly. No. Um, I'm, I'm, look, you know, I, I was, I was kind of devastated when Brad and Jen broke up. So, you know, Brangelina, I kind of took it hard to begin with. Then I really, I accustomed myself to it. I got used to the idea. <laughs> you know, I tried, I tried it on for size, not her size, but I tried it on <laughs> and I got used to it. And so, you know, I'm sad when, when anybody breaks up, but at the same time, this is like another societal standard, you know, I think that we're holding ourselves to that isn't true. Forever doesn't really exist. And particularly in this age, I think we're coming to terms with the fact that a lot of people stayed together, you know, 50 years ago because women didn't have the freedom that they have now. And even in the article, I talk about, you know, a 1950s housewife would have killed to have five minutes of the freedom that I have with my life every day. Um, and I don't take that for granted. And, you know, sometimes it feels lonely and sometimes it feels freeing, but it, I'm not trapped and I'm mm -hmm. not dependent on somebody else to take care of me. I think that the more we recognize that, you know, the more we see. And we started to see this really in, in the late 60s and 70s when people started, you know, divorce became a much more happenstance thing. My parents got divorced when I was four. This idea that you, there's only one person in the world for you and that you spend the rest of your life with them just doesn't make sense. Logically, it does not make sense. If we're talking about evolution, right? <laughs> Humans are not necessarily meant to stay together. And I think that while it's sad when people break up, I also think that that speaks volumes about their own personal evolution. People change. Sometimes they're adaptable enough to change and stay together, and sometimes they aren't. And rather than look for fault in people, um, you know, we should we should commend them for the bravery of of saying wow, this isn't working. And even if it's sad, we're, we're going to, and, and we're afraid of the unknown, right? So we stick with what we know. A lot of times people would rather stay miserable than just take a chance on what they don't know. Um, I think we should be applauding people for jumping into the unknown and saying, you know what, this isn't working. I need to find something else that will. And whether that's another person or being on their own, um, you know, when a breakup happens, I just I applaud anybody who's willing to say, like, it's time to yeah. do something different. And so it's sad. Yes. Yeah. But I think it's you know, we really think it's sad because of the idea that we think that people are, are fairy tales, that we think that these kind of celebrity couples are meant to stand as examples of the dream come true for us when they're just human. They're just people. Yeah, it's it's always weird to me when a celebrity couple breaks up and people on Twitter are like, "Love is dead," <laughs> and I'm like, "I'm like, okay, That's so can sad. we just yeah?" That's very but sad. It, it's it's that fairy tale thing, and I think Brad and Angelina, they kind of, they they also might have thought about themselves that way. at least like the way they have been portrayed for the past few years is like this model, yeah, couple. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think look, and that's. I don't know how much of that is they're doing their publicist doing yeah, yeah, or yeah. the way the media just frames them. Yeah. You know, sometimes I I kind of can't believe that that kind of connection between two people is possible. Think think of all the variables that have to happen for that kind of connection to last. What about Holland and Sarah? Well, <laughs> that's what I was going to say. On Twitter, you were saying, you know, people say love is dead. I'm like, well, let's tell them about Holland and exactly. Sarah. Forget about Brangelina. They can't break up. Right? I exactly. Would die. 
So it's like, like I don't know what what should we call them? Paul Taylor? I don't. What's their, oh yeah, what's the what's their Hollinson? Hollinson? Sarah Holland? I feel like there's got to be something with Holland. Yeah, sailor. <laughs> oh, sailor. sailor! There, there it you is. go. There it is. Sailor! I'm down with sailor. Um, <laughs> oh God! I hope they hear this. Oh, please oh. call on we our should, podcast. We Love should it. all tweet it at them. We exactly. should. Love is alive. We Love should. is alive. <laughs> It's an, you know, Brangelina may be over, but love is alive. Yes, oh, it's a beautiful day. So that was stylist, author, and longtime What Not to Wear host Stacy London, and the eternally stylish Hazel Sills. Our interview with Stacy was so incredible that we just obliterated the rest of our podcast. Uh, so that was it, and we hoped you guys liked it. Remember that we're also here to answer questions about your lady problems. So you can call us at 205-677-5239. That's 205-677-LADY. And remember that what constitutes a lady problem is completely made up. It really doesn't have any specific meaning outside of the fact that you are a lady and you have a problem and we want to talk about it. And if you like this episode, also please be sure to give us a rating or leave us a review on iTunes. It helps people find us and it helps us feel good about what we're doing with our lives. I'm Rachel Handler, and I'll see you next week. This episode of Lady Problems was produced by Michael Catano, Mukta Mohan, and Kasia Mihailovich for the MTV Podcast Network. Follow us on Twitter and like us on Facebook at MTV Podcasts. You can subscribe to Lady Problems and all our other shows on iTunes or wherever you get podcasts.